0: Two, ready, one. Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where you hear questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA.
1: I miss the days when I used to interrupt you every time you tried to start the show. I don't. I did that for like it wasn't two, two years, years straight, the, and yeah. then I retired it. Because <laughs> you forgot to do it once, and uh, just the yeah. magic was... Once yeah, the streak I've, was broken. I've missed that ever since.
0: Yeah. Now, there's always a new recording day. Mm-hmm. Also joining us Jed Brewer, the director of Mission USA
2: Productions. You could bring it back right now. Yeah, yeah I don't know. He's and not you, your monkey, Jed. No, but I mean, it would entertain <laughs> me. I mean, I just... Uh... The,
1: the one thing, and I'm going to speak this out so that it would be demand... Uh Super fans on this one? Yeah. Is that whenever we do a recording of an interview, yes, it's pre-recorded, of course, and then it's put into the show.
0: No idea what you're talking about. I take those phone calls (laughs) during the show.
1: And so what we do is there's a blank in between segments, and...
0: That was a royal wee. Uh,
1: and apparently <laughs> I I don't know what caused this, but there is the inner a, workings
0: of your brain is what caused a, this a,
1: a high falsetto scat performance happens each time where I make a series of absurd noises and uh and I did that like five times and now every single time yes. we have that that is demanded of me. Yes. By you. By me. And so I think uh, the edited to- together compilation of that should definitely wow. happen. The people are demanding. Just a double album? Yeah.
0: Well, since the people are demanding it, and since this is the, se- this is the second of a batch of record, not more time to do it, uh, we can have the-, the closing song of this show be the just <laughs> <the> <laughs> Symphony. That
1: would make me so happy. And-, and the world would be just happy. Sure, sure. Well, sure. So
0: well, well, we'll uh, we- I aim to please. Okay. And- Never has keeping your boss happy been so simple or stupid <laughs> as it is right now. But we're gonna do it. Also joining us after that long preamble is a man who is uh, just, I don't think has any particular demands to hold up this show with, but we'll see. One of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger.
3: All that I'm saying is when the when the people here the scat solo. They're gonna find out that yeah. at the end of every one of Glenn's scat solos, he ends with like a Looney Tunes Tasmanian Devil style. Pfft, every well, single time, yeah. it's re- yeah. It's it's really kind of the crowning pièce de résistance
1: of I, the. Scat I remember. Solo. I remember somewhere back in there, Jed and I did a bit of a duo.
0: Yeah, um, I'm not sure if sketch. we still have that one. We might. I've, when I've Jed used a to have the
3: keyboard them. and he used to he used to <laughs> accompany himself. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that was scoring. years, that years ago. Yeah, 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 we need to bring
1: that back, dude. That's we need musical accompaniment to some <laughs> me, of these uh, bits.
0: Let me just reassure you, dear listener, being that this is our first full episode out of uh, biblical numerological probation. If you yeah. listen to our last show, um, as Juvenile and unprofessional as the stuff that makes
2: it to air is. You have no idea. The raw material is so much more so. Yeah.
0: And that being said, I have to declare an emergency. Really? Speaking Whoa. of juvenile and nigh unairable, an, an emergency. So last week, we did talk with a new character, Numerological Jed, who was walking through the biblical numerology of the, the episode number. Is it numer-
1: Numerological Jed, or is it Bible Code Jed?
0: Bible Code Jed, you're absolutely right. BCJ. That's it. BCJ, as we call him, in shorthand, in memos, inner office memos, referred to BCJ. Um, but, of course, we, we, we kicked around some other stuff. One of those, is we, we, we feel like our beef is tired.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And we had the OC and beef, that was nice. We tried. You're this this beef and that beef with mm-hmm. megachurch people. People get real mad at us when yeah. we make fun of any megachurch pastor by name who's not Joel Osteen. Sure. Not, still haven't figured that one out yet, but it's dangerous waters to tread. Uh, uh,
1: we, uh, shockingly, no one had a lot of problems with the Osteen thing.
0: Right. So,
1: no. yeah. It's just curious, but that's okay. I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying anything.
2: <laughs> Your voice <laughs> is going way up. I, but, I don't know what you're talking about. Because so,
0: like he's got a big church and says questionable things, and that's super bad. Right. When other people have big churches and say super questionable things, he's helped that's a lot of fine. people. How
2: dare you? Oh, how dare you, sir? <laughs> what have you ever done for the kingdom, serve, Matthew King? You serve
0: a lead pastor who dares. <laughs> a lot of Stephen Furtick jokes, but there's not that much funny there. It's mostly sad from Revon. Uh, so we 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 figured out what can we beef with. Yeah, and it is, and we, as we mentioned before in the show, and I will do a quick recap here. We don't really like to make fun of too many people by name because even mega church people we think are kind of hucksters. Most of their books, which were written by other people, were not written by them. They're written by a writing team, not them. They get the money, but they didn't write the book. Yeah. So it's all vetted and theologically fine. So, you know, someone read a Mark Driscoll book or whatever, and it was the first time they'd heard about grace. And so it doesn't, we don't really want to dump on the person who taught them that. So, you know, that's why it is. So we thought it might be safer to beef with concepts. Yes. Right. Uh, Glenn mentioned the kind of in America, we love this. We have a war on terror and a war on drugs and a war on, on we, I think we had at one point in the late Mm eighties. It it didn't really take. No. Um, But so can we beef with some ideas, some concepts? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Now Glenn may have slightly misunderstood that because he jumped right to, and I quote a war on Christians, Yes. which it did not test well. Well, it was one of
1: those things where, it's a bad idea. Oh, yeah.
0: And wrong. Yeah. But it felt right. Okay. Well, that's, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Blue sky thinking, no wrong right. ideas. We yeah, got to try okay. things. But yeah. I think there was a kernel of an idea there that we need to scale it back okay. for more on Christians. But are there things within the Christian world over
2: specifics
0: yeah. that we would like to declare war on? That we would like to beef with. Right. Yes. Well, we like to beef with sweaters.
2: Yeah, oh, we definitely want to beef with sweaters. Uh,
1: dish, but just to circle back, is oh, good. Is Ouvre like a, a bathing suit area
0: thing? Yeah, no, that's, that's f- what that is. Oh, that's, okay. that's French for eggs. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the breakfast. It's a breakfast term.
1: So, for, first of all, I've got a lot of beefs that okay. I would like to beef with. Here's one um, you got a song? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't say a lot. How great! It's rivers and mountains and the streams with the eagles and the
2: thing, you know. That's not sincere
1: enough, Glenn. Yeah, it's... It's I the can't, best he can do. I yeah. can't, you know, I cannot manage it. it May I? Please, please. Oh,
2: the rivers and the streams are the mountains of your grace.
1: Right,
0: <laughs> that's it. That was authentic frontier gibberish as well. Yeah, with the, that does not make any sense. You've yeah. just
1: written a hit praise <laughs> and worship the, song. The, the
3: Madlib praise song.
1: Right, exactly. But here's the thing: uh, this song isn't good. Uh, also, uh, it doesn't say or mean a lot. Therefore, on that basis. If you want to do the chorus, you do do your verse, then you do your chorus, and you do another verse, then you do another chorus. Sure. Sometimes you get to the end of that song and you say, I'm really feeling this. Sure. Let's Let's go back around and do the chorus another time. Let's sink in. Let let the words and the meaning of the thoughts in the song sink in. Now there are no meaningful anything to it. Okay. But you no. but you say let's circle around. Maybe we'll see something
3: meaningful. Sure, in something
0: undiscovered.
1: It'll be like uh, going into a trance, and
3: the, <laughs> our third eye will open. And the, it, those it, magic uh, those computer images books from the nineties. Yeah, yes. if you
0: stare it out long enough and unfocus your mind, it's, yeah,
3: yeah
1: it'll, it'll come to you. Well, here's what here. So you say, "Let's do this. Let's do this course again." And you, you don't need to. We don't want you to. It, we wish you wouldn't. But you're doing it, and, sure. and that, that's okay. Then you say to yourself, "I think I could send this thing around." A third time yeah now, you, now you're you, just getting greedy you you really can't, and you you definitely shouldn't, and we don't want you to, and please you know let's you just may re- be
0: noticing a significant numerical drop off in the number of people participating, yeah, with it, every chorus, it, yeah, if
1: you look out and no one's singing, take the hint, my man it's it's <laughs> the song's over
0: I, I don't want to get in red flow, but I think when you put a positive war on not taking the hint, yes, yes, really that's, wow.
1: that's, huge. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,, but this is the thing is. When you send it around three times, and and we've reached a point of diminishing returns, and, and we all want it to be over, and then you say, you know what? Let's do really this. take this to the next level. Let's go another 27 times with this. Yeah.
0: That's where
1: we've okay. got to declare war on you. So
0: you've got a beef with chor- chorus repetition. Yeah. Also known as a beef on not writing a full song.
3: Yeah. Yes. Well, here's what happens on this, and, and I've I've been in this situation before um where you you go to the you go to the church where they s- do the praise music like this you hear a song for the first time so yes. you have no familiarity with it yes. then it it comes back around so now you are somewhat familiar then it comes back around and now you're like okay I now I know the song comes mm-hmm. back around and you're like oh you know I'm I you know there there's things I like about this sure and then uh and, and then it comes back around and now you're like okay i got it and then it comes back around and you're like no 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 now Still now we're it. now now we're getting played out and literally i have been in a worship service where i went from not having any knowledge of the song to going the whole cycle of a of a top 40 song being played out on the radio in one performance of this song <laughs> i've never you, you heard don't know it before it.
1: You yeah. don't know it, then you like it, yeah. and then you are tired of it, and then you hate it, and then
3: you hate everything about everyone, <laughs> and you want to burn the world. And that was in yeah. one performance without a break, right? That's a journey. Is what it did that the full is. ninety-eight
0: degrees cycle, <laughs> yeah. in seven minutes. <laughs> I think that's good. I'd like to. I like continuing this this uh, road of where you're going to beef with not taking the hint.
1: Yeah. Wait. Wait a second. Okay, I got another one, and I I want I do want us to 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 circle back to the, sure. not taking the hint. Here's what it is: turn to your neighbor. Yeah, oh,
0: no turn your
1: more door. turn to your neighbor. You're killing me with that. <laughs> I don't want to turn to my neighbor. I don't look. Well, I look. I'm on my own journey here, dude. <laughs> sure, and I ain't trying. <laughs> you preach to him. Don't make me turn to him and tell him anything. So forget it.
0: Absolutely, I want to give a little context because i have a feeling this one may be a little more inner city than for. Okay. Our- our suburban friends. I'm not sure if that's penetrated as far. There is a, a thing that and some suburban preachers do. This bless them. where they'll be in the middle of a sermon. They'll be giving a lovely word. Yeah. And they will have a little catchphrase, right. a little something they want you to remember, something to stick. And instead of just telling you the thing, right. And then you remember it because that's how preaching works. Yeah. They'll say, "Turn to your neighbor and say, God's not done with you yet," or whatever it is. Right. And but some of them script out an entire David Mamet style. Scene yeah. where there's seven bits of dialogue. Right. Yeah. Oh, turn your neighbor, then turn your other neighbor and say this, and then turn it around three times and repeat right. it back to you. And it's a little much. And
1: then they, then they say the the phrase that you're supposed to turn your neighbor to is too unwieldy. Yeah, oh, you turn yeah. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is a wonderful person and wants to help you with your life. And you're like, I can't remember that. Yeah, you neighbor. can hear it in real time. You
0: know, the whole about, God is a wonderful. Because they can't remember the end, so they yeah, just kind right. of push through it.
1: Yeah, you, you know what? You, you, you don't make me do it. You do it's,
0: it. It sounds like, Glenn, if I can encapsulate these, I think this mm. is good. Um, you're, you're declaring a beef with uh, worship and church professionals making the audience do a part of their job. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Because yeah. you
0: exactly. didn't write a song that was good enough to engage the people. Right. You're just going to, in a Stockholm Syndrome kind of way, repeat <laughs> it until they like it. That's uh, right. That's Because right. the implicit threat is the wear 30th death. Yeah, the implicit threat in the thirtieth chorus repeating is, "I'm not stopping it until you all make me think I'm a good songwriter." Right, that's right. In the same way, with I would like, I want to preach a thing and have people really like the cute phrase I came up with and say that to each other. I'll just make them do it while I'm standing here. <laughs> well,
1: per, per this point, we had uh, one of our preachers at uh, at, the, at our service at the bridge uh, stood up in front of our admittedly very tough audiences I mean they're they're tough in the sense that they expect a lot. Yeah. And uh, uh he was the last speaker before we were getting to dinner and he says, I know you guys can smell that fried chicken. If you aim in me more, I'll get to the end faster and you'll get to the chicken faster. And they gave him a very clear indication we no, don't want the chicken that bad. Not why why don't you go ahead and say something, you know <laughs> so Yeah,
0: yeah. well it's and then this ties us back to the, the, the war I'm not taking the hint because he tried it once and it did not go well. Right. And he went back to it. Yeah. And that's in the same way of with the, uh, with the, the preaching ticks is the, and bless them, this is something that some of our uh, friends in the inner city can pull off quite well. But I've seen YouTube clips of some of our friends in the, uh, the megachurches in the suburbs trying it. And who is not the, I don't think y'all heard me. Repeat, tough point. Yeah. Did they not hear you? Or do they just not care? <laughs> right. Yeah, take take the hint.
1: Uh, that, do your own job. Yeah, if they're not singing, if they're not amening, uh maybe uh, find another gear here. Do it different. Do it better. Do something else. Do it good. Yeah. Do it good. And here's the thing. Don't add doodads. No. I want a full-on war on doodads. <laughs> there you go. And I'm talking about... Cable cam. I'm talking about uh, laser, laser beams. We had a church. We were talking about. Did we talk about this on podcast? Laser beams. Yep. Easter oh, yeah. laser beams,
0: weren't they? they? Easter. Easter. Wow. They're, that's they're, what you want. For Easter, Easter backdrop was essentially lightsabers.
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's doodads, man. That ain't getting anybody saved. So no, you gotta say say a thing. If you say something that okay. will help me, I don't care if there's laser beams involved in any part of that process. Let's, uh, you know what I mean.
0: Absolutely, and no, I think that I think that's fair. I think we're we're zeroing in a beef on not doing your own dang job. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. I think that's to be celebrated, and I I think the merchandise will write itself.
1: Well, and with this is the video church thing.
0: Yeah, Glenn's not a fan. Let
1: me tell you what. If I'm there, you be there. Sure. That's my. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? That's, if you, ain't even there, there, if you <laughs> ain't even re- there, if you ain't even why am I there?
0: You know what I mean. You're getting paid. Why aren't you here? I'm not that, getting paid.
1: That's right. You know. So uh, I'm gonna next time I go to one of those, I'm just gonna, you know, have somebody bring a laptop and sit sure. there, Facetime it. Yeah. And You ain't there. I ain't there. That's it. That's what you call reciprocity. <laughs> sure. That's that's, in, that's important in in war.
0: <laughs> or to the point of. Uh... Yeah, proportional response in the beef on churches not doing well. And on that case, in that basis, I declare emergency off. Oh my, that's a lot. Um, but you know what is doodad-free? You know what will ne- you know we'll never ask you to repeat the chorus or stand up and talk to your neighbor? And that's Bridgebox. That's right. Ooh. All Bridgebox tracks, be they sermons, be they uh, songs, even the Bible says, they're user-controlled. They have a pause button. If you, if you decide the song's over it's over uh, somebody they sell them a course go you can just you can just turn it off and don't we all wish that there were some worship leaders in the world who came with that function (laughs) same way with the preaching if you uh if you think that somebody is milking a point a little too much you can just go ahead and scrub forward that's totally up to you. You have It's a user-generated process. Mm-hmm. We appreciate that. It's also user-generated in the sense that every month, Bridgebox is about topics that are important to you. people, Things that come up in conversation with people that we know uh, people are struggling with. So we're still in the month of August. We're looking at, how do I grieve? we got songs about that. we got sermons. The Bible says all sorts of great stuff. In the past, we've uh, tackled topics like, how do I start over in a new place? What do I do with... Uh, what was the, the word we used? Imperfect authority. Mm-hmm. So we talked about sex relationships. We talked about church. We talked about all sorts of stuff. And missionusa.com slash bridgebox. Get in on it for only $8 a month, which goes directly to support the work we do in Chicago and what Lee does with the kids down there in Tennessee. It is the number one most effective way people who like the show and have been blessed by it can help us out. Missionusa.com slash bridgebox. All right, we're going to jump to our first question here. It came in to our email address. If you hang out this all the way to the end of the show, I'll give you some ways you can touch this. This person says, my wife and I's life is full, but it still seems feels like we should be more involved in church or working in a soup kitchen or something. How do I fight this oppressive feeling on the same note? How can we find rest when we don't feel like we have energy for friends or church? How do the married guys on the show manage all these to do all these things for God <laughs> while having time to love and serve their family? S- especially, Lee, seriously, what kind of juice does he drink to pull off all the stuff he pulls off? A very fair question. Mm-hmm. And we'll get there. Je- I'd love to start with you on this. Um, so there's a couple mm-hmm. things going on here, and I think we'll we have time to cover all of it. Um, but let's start with this idea of the the constant feeling of we should be doing
2: more. hmm because for some people that's true, sure. that's, that's a tug, but for some people that's a guilt thing, so how do we tell which is which? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I think what's interesting to me is so often when we have kind of a, a guilty feeling going, we need to ask, to what extent is this a character problem? You know, I just need to be a better person. And to what extent is this a practical or logistical problem? In other words, I just need to structure things a little bit differently. Because the funny thing about church culture and Christians <laughs> is we kind of want to cast everything as a character problem. We, we kind of want to say everything is, if you just didn't suck as a person, then we'd all, would be fine. But it turns out that a lot of times that's not the case. And actually, a lot of problems are really far more logistical and practical in the way that they work. And I think yours is here. There are only 24 hours in a day. There are only seven days in a week. You have a hard limit on the amount of time that you have to spend. That's, that's it. You can't if – you, if you have mapped out all of those hours and all of those days, then there isn't, there isn't any more. So what do, we, what do we do? Well, you know, if you were to say, I want to lose a few pounds. So I'm going to go on a diet. The easiest thing to do, the place you would want to start, would be to look for the empty calories that you eat. In other words, the the calories that you take in, where you're just not really getting anything out of them. You know, I, I always drink a can of Coke with my with my lunch. Well, that's a you know, 150 calories that you're not really getting any bang for your buck out of that. So you know, switch it to right. Diet Coke. Spend those calories on something else. Easy. We've made a, a big step forward. You can actually do the exact same thing with your schedule. And and here's how you do that. There are things in on your schedule that are non-negotiable. You know, work starts at 8:30 a.m. You got to be there. Sure, yeah, but. A lot of stuff on your calendar is negotiable. There, there are, are probably far more things you choose to do than things you have to do. For the things that you choose to do, I think it's worth looking and saying, am I getting a good return out of this? In other words, there's a reason I'm doing this activity. Am I getting the thing I want out of it? And I think it's really worth looking at that as it pertains to church stuff. You say, you know, we, we go to a small group every Monday night, you know, we're there, it's a three-hour thing, but you, know, by the time you include leaving our house, driving, getting there, fellowshipping, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's a three-hour to stern thing. First of all, what are our reasons for going? Are we going to this because we're trying to increase our Bible knowledge? Are we going to this because we're trying to increase our fellowship? Let's just take those two, be common reasons for going. Well, the first question is, are you increasing your Bible knowledge? Right. If that's your reason for going... Do we feel like we're getting a good return on that investment? Are we could we stay home and read a Bible commentary and get a better return on that investment? Cuz if we could, we need to think about that. Similarly, we go cuz we want good fellowship. Are you getting good fellowship? Are your fellowship needs being met during this time? If you, just as a for instance, if you took two buddies and you went to Chili's and spent right. three hours on that, would you get better fellowship doing that than you would with the small group? Because it turns out there's nothing sacred about a small group. Um, what's sacred is your need for fellowship. And if we can spend our time differently and meet that need more efficiently, bully, we're off to the races. Um you can go through your whole calendar. You can go through your whole date book and look and say, how well are these things working? How well are these things meeting the goals? That includes service opportunities. You said that, that you guys, you do a lot of stuff, but you would love to do things like serving in a soup kitchen. I think it's worth asking, where are you serving right now? In, in what ways are you, are you in you know, concrete ways, are, are you serving right now? What is that accomplishing? Both what is it accomplishing in terms of good in the world and what is it accomplishing in terms of you internally and in your landscape and, and feeling like, you know, this really connects with me and I, and I really dig this. If something isn't doing the trick, if it's not giving you a good return, then chuck it and do That's something right. else. You know, there's – there's you are not required to always keep doing the things you've always done. There's That's nothing right. that says you need to do that. To the, to the contrary um, – <laughs> you're meant to make changes you're meant to to adjust to, to put it very very clearly the idea of we should do more is oppression uh that that is the voice of guilt but the idea we can get a better return is smart that's the voice of wisdom that's the voice of maturity and growth and it's a great place to start with this is just to look and say where can we get a better return for the time and investment that we are making
0: Absolutely fantastic. It's a wonderful place to start this off. And Glenn, I'd love to get you here to look, to build on that further and look at maybe what that return we're looking for is. That Obviously, yeah. that's different, as Jed's pointing out, for different areas. But I think there are some things uh, common to whether that's service, whether that's good fellowship, to some things that will let you know if this, this is being effective. And if it's not, that may mean we need to tweak this, that maybe we need to go something else. But what are those things we can say, I think this is working
3: for right.
1: you? Well, I love everything Jed's saying here, and I, I don't know if enough Christians think the way that he's advocating. Almost like, like that would be weird to... Be greedy to, about the amount or of Or to impact. judge the
0: efficacy of any yeah, church that's, stuff.
1: I, if you want to know the difference between us and you in terms of what we do professionally as as, as people in full-time ministry and the kind of impact, and the amount of impact that we have versus you as a person who has a full-time job and has life and wife and kids and stuff, and you're looking at how, much, how can I have any kind of an impact compared to, to you guys— the The difference between, between us and you is not the total amount of time that we put on it. The difference between you and us is we insist that everything that we do be extreme, high-octane impact. Yeah. Everything. If if you look at our bridge service, literally we are packing every ministry into every little component part of that. And we we have arranged it ourselves to make sure that every little piece of that Allows us to—I mean, literally—from the time that van doors open and we are greeting them on the way in, ministry begins, right until the time they're walking walking out. Uh, I've been involved with or 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 helped out with a lot of ministries. Where they're not getting a lot done in the time they're spending on it. It's a bad setup, is the way we would put it. There's good ministry happening. There's there's a, there's a need for ministry to happen there. But it's a bad setup. There's not a lot getting done. If you are doing this on sort of a volunteer part-time basis, you can't afford a bad setup. And you shouldn 't tolerate one as yeah. as jed 's putting it here, that means looking around a lot, yeah, go to a soup kitchen. The thing is you're you're you 're not going to get a lot of um, interaction you 're not going to get a lot of high octane ministry done in that. Uh, depending on the setup, if yeah. if you're just ladling soup, it's gonna be a bit of slim pickins. If you're able to serve the soup and then sit down and eat with them, if that's part of the dynamic, if that's allowed, if that's encouraged, well then you can get as much done on soup kitchen night as we get done on any night of ministry we're doing. It's mm. the same, you know. It, it depends on the setup, really much more so than uh, than the environment or the amount of total time on on that task. Uh, so I think you should be greedy about that. That means looking for ministries that are more turnkey, where it's already set up, and the setup allows for you to get in there and have a, a big impact. I I would also encourage you, part of what you're expressing here is, you know, i got a full schedule and I'm pretty tired uh, at the end of the week— Uh, and I'm pretty drained and would I do anybody any good if I'm going out and doing stuff? Here's the thing. First and foremost, it's a great example to your kids for them to see you going out and doing stuff, uh, particularly for the least of these. Second of all, you will go out tired and you'll come back wired. If you're doing good ministry, Mm -hmm. you will be energized by that in a way that, yes, it will tire you in certain interesting ways. You'll be working different muscles than you're used to, but you'll come back with just an energy and drive and a push and stories that you can Mm -hmm. tell and and share with the family, and it will be so exciting. Everyone can pray about it and all that kind of stuff. Last thing I would say is start small. Mm. Uh, When we do ministry, if we're going to do a new thing, a new initiative or whatever, we think in terms of months and years before that really catches a gear and does something amazing. We, We start small. We start with very small interactions and small... Uh, 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 you know, making inroads into places with the idea that that's going to pay off months from now. I think you have to be comfortable with a small start that is solid, that gets something done. It's high impact. It energizes yeah. me. It excites me. I'm having fun with it. But let it be small, and and let it be oh, let yourself be okay with that. Uh, it's, uh, In other words, I think we look in terms of the project, or, or not we, I mean you are looking in terms of the project. I want a big project that does right. a big thing. Forget that thinking. Here's what you need to have the mentality of, I want to make a deep impact in a person's life, or two, or three, or four, that's the mentality that we have. We're looking at depth of impact, not breadth of mm-hmm. impact. So if you're only working with three or four people, but you're making a huge impact in their lives, you're doing the exact same thing we're doing, the exact way that we're doing it. The, the volume of that doesn't really matter because those people that you're impacting, they are going to go forth and they're going to impact others. So it'll be multiplied and you'll have a big impact in that way.
0: Absolutely right. I think that's really, really good stuff. And Lee, let me get you to close out here, and let's let's look to the the family aspect of this. Because um, obviously for those of us here in Chicago, um, ministry is a- an outward-facing thing. These guys uh, minister to and are ministered to by their wives, but they don't have little people who need to be discipled, live in their house. So I wonder if that's not part of the thing our friend here is looking at is... Um, how is that how does that fit in there are there's a bunch of serving to be done and i imagine that when you have a family so a good bit more of that needs
3: to be in house no but and, exactly
0: uh, as mean, Glenn is pointing out about other stuff that's not know, lesser to build but it's on what these about how does that how does fit in with the this rest is all of this, right?
3: excellent stuff what what you've heard jed and and glenn both say and really what a lot of this comes down to is prioritizing and christians aren't super comfortable with that sometimes because we think there's a we think that if I prioritize, or if God forbid, if I say no to a ministry, then that somehow communicates good I'm out. not willing to serve Jesus. That's not the same thing, and we need to learn the difference between that. That there are times when there's there's nothing wrong with prioritizing, and in fact, there are times when you just have to straight up say no to stuff, and there's and that is a good thing. Um, basically. The way that we look at things, and, and I know it's the way these these brothers do too, is, you know, the husband and wife, we are a team. That we we are, um, we're you know we're a, a team that the Lord is using. That we promote and protect and take care of and encourage each other, um, and 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 we make sure that the other person is is rested has the time that they need, the friend time that they need, the downtime that they need, the sleep that they need, all that kind of stuff. All that stuff is super-duper intentional. And time with the kids and all that kind of stuff. We include the kids on the stuff that we can. We're always talking to them about the importance of the things that we're doing. And, you know, one really cool thing for us is, like, if there's a thing that I have to be gone for, a ministry thing, and so Christy's with the, the kids... You know, and the kids, if the kids are sad about that for me being gone, she will always give them the vision of the thing that I'm doing. This is the reason dad's gone. This is the thing that he's doing in that. And whenever we can, we take them with so that they meet the people, so they see the impact, so they see what's going on. We'll involve them in praying for the ministry that we're doing. You know, when when Christy and I go to do a prison ministry, we explain that to them. We go and do that as a team. Kids can't go with us on that deal. You know, we have a babysitter and stuff like that, but we explain the whole thing. And this whole deal comes down to what can we actually get done What are the, what's as, just as Glenn's saying, what's the stuff that has the most impact or the thing that we feel that the Lord is calling us to the most? How can we involve everybody in it so that we're working together as a team? I think that over the years, the way that most people that we've reached out to see the younger family is they see us as as a group of people that are all in this together, And that's the way that you want to, that's the way that you want to attack this thing. We're all kind of in this together. We've got people, you know, in our home, the high school kids that we reach out to, they've been over to the house, you know, that, you know, and our kids are around them, you know, they're all, it's like our, you know, our little kids play basketball and Frisbee with the high school kids that we reach out to and all that kind of stuff. And so we attack this thing intentionally as a team, always making sure we've got a good balance, taking care of each other. But here's one thing it means is you do have to say no to stuff. And and here's the deal. Ministry doesn't die if you have to say no sometimes. If you're worn out, you've got yes, to sir. be able to be honest about that stuff. And you need to know that the Lord is able to go ahead and use... Mm-hmm. He's able to go ahead and work if you need to take a break, if you need to take a knee... And in fact, I mean, the Lord is the one who invented this concept of Sabbath. And uh, people always talk about the word Sabbath meaning rest. It actually means stop. That's what the original Hebrew, that word means stop. And so, and there are times when that's exactly what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to stop. You're supposed to put it down, rest. And then when you pick it back up, find out that the Lord was able to do some amazing stuff, even though you weren't even involved. So saying no to stuff is a big deal, prioritizing, prioritizing, being a team, being intentional, all that kind of stuff. And that's how we really get this stuff done and, and you know, over a long period of years have a great impact. I love how Glenn said we want to make an impact, on a deep impact on a few people. And what happens is when you've been in this game a long time like Glenn has, like Jed has, like Matt has, like I have, uh, you look back over a lot of years and... I mean, it's like, man, oh, really, a lot of stuff has gotten done. But we were just working with a few people at a time. And and, and that's that's the way we want to go after this thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Amen. Absolutely, amen. That is all fantastic, fantastic huh. stuff. We're going to move on to our next question here. It came into the Uncle Glenn blog. Oh. It's one of the more popular blogs, that I hear. Who's uh. Very good. I was wondering where you were going to go with that one. It's, there's like five words in that sentence. <laughs> and he keeps finding angles. It's pretty impressive at this point. Yeah. This question says, I was talking to my family about four people who can't afford to pay for health care. And they said I sounded like one of those typical bleeding heart liberals. In that moment, I feel bad for even thinking it. But I think I lost a lot of respect for them as Christians. But maybe I'm just looking at the surface of things. Is being a bleeding heart a bad Thing. And Glenn, there's there's a number of things going on here. All of them pretty much suck. Yeah. But let's open up with the question that was asked and uh, talking about is a being a bleeding heart <laughs> and whether or not apparently one can be too empathetic to be a Christian. Yeah. Oh. Doesn't
1: sound right when you say it out loud. Uh yeah, uh being hard hearted is a bad thing. Mm, uh but wow. the Bible talks about that being but a But
0: Pharaoh was so godly. Yeah, no, sure. Uh, <laughs> had so much so much riches that makes him so godly. Yeah, no,
1: no that was the other side of that equation. Yeah, I think this is uh it, it's it's I mean we're going you you can tell that we're steering way around the politics of this which is a part of of what's going on here. Uh but huh. uh you know how uh the churchy people love that uh WWJD thing. Mm-hmm. You know what would Jesus do? Um. here's a good place for that. You know, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? And for some reason, I think there's a cultural thing, and, and maybe it comes from politics, or maybe uh, it, the, the culture comes first and the politics comes after. I wouldn't know. But there's definitely a, a, a cultural thing that I hear Christians talk about where they're... Uh, they're talking about accountability Mm. in in the broadest possible sense in terms of you aren't being responsible, you aren't doing what you should be doing, and you're suffering consequences as a result, and that suffering is good because it's leading you to do something better. mm. And I think this is maybe an extension of a mentality of, if I feel if I feel bad about my sins and I guilt myself, then that will encourage me towards living a better life. So sure, the, that's the, how Jesus did it. Yeah, the worse I feel uh, towards myself, the more likely I am to be a righteous person. Uh, this makes absolutely no sense. It is not the gospel. It does not work long time long term. And there's a reason why people like me do not preach that, even to people who have massively, massively messed up lives is because it, A, is not the good news of the gospel, B, it does not work, and C, it's simply not what Jesus did. It's not what he said. Uh, I think there's a mentality uh, that I I, I see kind of springing up uh, within Christianity and and spreading out with this idea of... We were talking about this the other day, but it's almost a... um, like a, a, a macho kind of thinking in a, in a way, tough. we got to be tough. Everything, we've to got to be tough with this problem. If, if any kind of time we have a problem, we'll bash it with a hammer or drop a bomb on it or whatever it is. And the thing about that is uh, if you want to focus on strength, I think that's a great idea. Sure. Strength is when you reach down to lift somebody up. Yep. Now, per our last question, if your focus is, I want to start by reaching down to lift up the people who are most ready to change now, I think that's a great idea. That's certainly sure. exactly how we go about things. Yep. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you're saying there's a small number of people who just want to be enabled and, and I don't want to focus on that, I only want to help people who are ready to move forward now— You'll have so many customers, believe me, you'll you'll never run out. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But strength is when you reach down and lift up people mm-hmm. who have less than you do and who are struggling. It doesn't matter whether they committed sins in their past. It doesn't matter if this is consequences of, of stuff that's going on. You committed sins in your past. You had consequences. I've had that. It's not <laughs> our place to judge that. Uh, so it's not about... Let's create more of an awareness of sin, like that's going to do something. Let's not create more guilt. Let's not create more shame as a way of somehow apparently motivating people to just like, wow, you you made me feel terrible. I I started feeling bad, but then you made me feel real bad. Now I just really want to read my Bible and live a straight life and, and, and obey all of the, the, the things. Right. It's important for us to recognize that does not work. And and I'm saying that from a ministry standpoint. Mm-hmm. If that worked, we would do that. We see people in, in such an emergency-level bad state that we would do anything we can, anything that would work, to turn them around. But the truth is, that does not work. It's not the gospel. Uh, you're supposed to have a soft, tender heart that the Lord can can put a squeeze right. on and say... It's time for you to help this person out, and it's not up to you to decide whether they deserve it or not.
0: Yeah, that's really, I think, the perfect way to start this off. I think that really handles the, the bleeding heart aspect of this from both sides. And Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up there. Um, there's a another th- thing going on in this question I feel it's important to address. Uh, the person says, in the moment, and then this is in parentheses, I feel bad for even thinking it, but I think I lost a lot of respect for them as Christians. Mm. I think we would all say, yeah. Yeah. And probably a little late in the process. Sure. Probably right. should have not had much respect in the Christians, but I think that ties into, I, I think there's some political and some cultural elements as Glenn's pointing to there, but I think there is a big, uh, where we started off in the emergency, actually it was a church culture thing of if someone is older than you and has been going to church longer, you must have a respect for their version and beliefs in individual about Christianity as part of having respect for them as a person. Right. And I think that's, that's wrong And that I'd love to get you to break down for us this idea of you can still have a healthy amount of respect for older people, your parents, as the Bible says, you know, respect your elders. You don't actually have to respect them as Christians if right. they, what's the like look for here, suck at being Christians, which I don't want to get too deep into the Bible. Mm. But if you look at poor people and think well, do why don't you pick yourself up by your bootstraps? According to Matthew 25, you super suck as a Christian. Right. So that's actually not to be debated. These people are not great at the Christianity, but what do we find that balance of still being respectful towards someone as a person, which we're called to be, and we should do that, but maybe transitioning out of holding their version of Christianity in high regard?
3: Yeah, I think that you should be picky about uh, who you let influence you. And uh, this is a thing that comes with it's a It's a thing that comes with age and it's well not excuse me not necessarily a thing that comes with age, but it comes with your kind of growth and maturity as a christian it's a funny thing we were just talking I was just talking to some high school folks about um about this is kind of a related topic but um, um just kind of people's drama on their social media so uh you know that typically what folks think is the only people that have drama on social media and trolling and cyberbullying and stuff like that are, you know, teenagers. And as they grow, then they grow out of that. But really what happens is, is you have uh, mature people and grown people. And that doesn't have a lot to do with age. It has to do with maturity and if, if you're grown or not. And what happens for a lot of people is there comes this moment in your Christian life when you realize... Just as you're saying, this person that I automatically respected as somebody that was spiritually uh, super far ahead of me, I've just realized they are not a mature believer. And the reason I realized it is that book they say they love, uh, they don't know it. Mm -hmm. Or they don't give it any authority in their life whatsoever. Or they way, way, way prioritize their politics over that book they say they love so much. And of course, we're referring to the Bible, um, and uh, they don't let it speak into their life. They don't let it have authority over their feelings or over their politics or anything like that. And exactly as Matt's saying, you have the permission to look at people and say, I can respect you as a human being, I can respect you as an elderly person in my life, or whether that's a parent or a grandparent or whatever, but you're not the person who influences me about Jesus stuff anymore. Um, Some of us have had to do that with our own parents, um, with our, like we're saying, with grandparents or aunts and uncles or, or just people in the church. And it's a weird thing to do Um, because when you're a kid, you look up to everybody and you just think, all these people know what the deal is, and I don't. Um, One of the things that's been interesting for me as a person who works with, with high school and college folks is that inevitably a lot of them who really care about their own discipleship and care about walking with Jesus, they wind up spiritually running laps around their own parents. And they have this weird cognitive dissonance where they realize... I am more mature than my parent now, um, which you can hang out with them. You can talk to them about your regional sports team. You can maybe, you know, maybe get their advice on how to fix up the, the, you know, your back deck or your you know, work on the car or whatever. But it's just that I'm not bringing my spiritual questions to you because you can't speak into that part of my life anymore. And you don't have to have a conversation where you say, we're cutting this off now. It's just that you have other people in your life that that influence your walk. Um, You know, I mean, for a lot of you who listen to the show, you write into the Uncle Glenn blog, you write into the Bridge blog, um, because, or you talk to a pastor or something like that, and you've realized it's not my parent who can guide me in these things anymore. And that's okay. It's not age It's not time spent in the Christian culture that determines who is on this. It really is who is submitting their life to the words of Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's the whole deal. And what you're going to find is, no matter if you're really young, sometimes you're going to be running laps around people who have been in this thing for a much longer time. And you have the permission to say, I don't. Um, I'm not going to be influenced by you. I'm going to be real picky about who influences me and who gets to speak into my life spiritually.
0: Amen. That's all really, really good stuff. And Joe, I'd love you you to close out on this. Let's go back to this idea of being a bleeding heart yeah. and a certain amount of compassion, because I um, that is a phrase that is certainly used to shut down discussion. Yeah. For you to open with, you know, it seems like a lot of people uh, die of preventable disease mainly based on the amount of money their parents had, yeah. which is the number one predictor of economic success in the United States is a one-to-one dollar ratio of how much money your parents had. So that seems not super Christian. And for someone to say that you're a bleeding heart um, is in a way, it seems dismissive in a way of this is a whole area of the world in which your that opinion has no value. That's different than, as we're talking about, a healthy Exchange of ideas about efficacy that's different than a free market versus single-payer healthcare care model, yeah. that is a dismissal. And I wonder if of all the things we're looking at, that is not the thing we want to single out as the biggest problem in all of this.
2: Um, here's what the Bible says. This is 1 John 3.17. This comes out of the message translation. If you see some brother or sister in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It disappears, and you made it disappear. Wow, that's really something to think about. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty strong. But it actually it gets uh, kind of more intense than that because it's not just that compassion is central to Christianity, although it certainly is. I mean, the, the verse I just read you is one among a bajillion in the Bible. It's 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 hard to miss. It turns out that compassion is actually central to most world religions. It comes up a lot. Uh, <laughs> if, if, you, if you looked at the religions that are practiced by the huge, vast majority of people on planet Earth, compassion is a central tenet to nearly all of them. Uh, so we need, to clear, we need to be clear that demonizing compassion is not... UnChristian, it it is, but it is actually in the true sense of the word. It is godless. Yeah. This is the view of a person who, functionally speaking, does not believe in God. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have any belief in God, all teaching about God, almost regardless of religion, you could go just shy of calling it universally says God cares about compassion. Therefore, if you are demonizing compassion, no matter what God you think you believe in, you are walking away from what that God has declared to be true. Uh, there, there is just no way to escape that. Um, Matt pointed out, and he's right, that there are effective and ineffective ways to live out compassion. Uh, there are, and we talked about this actually in our first question uh, tonight that there are things that work super well and there are things that l- work less well, and that it of course makes sense to say we want to do the stuff that works as well as possible right. we want the the most bang for our compassionate dollars and our compassionate hours. We really, really want to see things work and work well i am if that 's where you 're coming from, I am on your side. I think that we want to um, we actually work a lot with the Salvation Army. They're great people, and they have a very bold slogan that's actually kind of true. Their slogan is, doing the most good. Um, it's a bold assertion. For them, it's actually probably pretty true. They, they do a lot. They're amazing people. Right. And I think that we should strive to do the most good, to really max right. that out. But that is completely different, worlds different from saying compassion itself is a bad thing.
1: And along the lines of what you're saying, you can't take all helping and say that all of that is enabling, no. and then say, I, I have a godly attitude towards helping, Yeah, no. that if you say all helping is enabling, you are expressing an unbiblical thought.
2: You are expressing yeah. a godless thought, right. if, that's, if that's your viewpoint. Um, compassion, again, if you're—I can speak—I can for sure speak for people that, that claim Christianity. Compassion is not an optional thing. Um, it, 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 I, we hear all the time. You know, some people are called to one thing, and some people are called to another. That's true. All Christians are called to compassion. Right. I need you to hear me on this. All Christians are called to compassion. You don't get a pass on that. That should permeate every issue of your life, including other things like politics. All Christians are called to compassion. It is part of God's call on your life. We yes, we want to. Um, uh, we want to do that in an efficient way. We want to do that in an effective way. We want to do that in ways that are ever-growing in their efficiency and in their efficacy. But all Christians are called to compassion. That includes you. That includes your family members, regardless of their political party affiliation.
0: That's really fantastic stuff. One short thing I'll add to the amazing stuff you got from all three of these guys is in the in the wake of all Christians are called to compassion, that's true. Another thing that is, this is something that's fairly revolutionary about Christianity as a as an idea and as a concept is that Jesus says we don't get to choose who on whom we have compassion. Right. There's actually not things that people do that disqualify them from our compassion, including things like going to jail, including things like persecuting you individually. Jesus says that one of the, the thing that makes the followers of Jesus different from other people is where everyone else would uh, meet a curse with a curse, you have to bless those who persecute you. So another... Uh, I think Jed is absolutely right. And to what your your folks were probably saying, I don't think you're, and this may be part of your confusion of this, I don't think you're, you're, I would guess your folks are not people devoid of compassion entirely. I think they have compassions for particular groups of people who might happen to look and have experiences a lot like them. Hmm. I think if, and remember I traded, traded some, some broad things here, so I think there are a group of people who feel that having compassion on steel workers whose factory got closed down is very important. And those are people who worked hard and, you know, saved and did a thing and joined whatever, and they are deserving of compassion. Having compassion on people who live in the inner city where there are just are no jobs. It's not that the plant closed down, there were no jobs. Well, but they there's whole different things there and it's crime riddled and there's drugs and all that. There's another component between the differences between those people that I'm leaving out but you can hear in my voice what I'm driving at.
2: Can you guess what it is?
0: Rhymes with schmelanin. <laughs> um, but, and again, I, and I actually don't, I, did, I leave that out because I'm not trying to be, again, incendiary, folks, I think that's a huge blind spot a lot of Christians have. It is, mm-hmm. we were actually talking about this the, the other day, Jen and I were, there's a thing if you talk to foreign missionaries, and this has been through the history, they will talk about people really get uptight about the idea of, them trying to blend Christianity with the local thing Mm -hmm. with, you know, we we have a feast on this day and it celebrates, you know, this deity um, for foreign missionaries. And they've done it through history because um, I have bad news. If you're against this, I have bad news about you for you about why Christmas is when it is (laughs) and almost everything else about it. But uh, people, donors, white church people get really uptight and say, okay, well they had this festival and it was to the harvest God, but we talked about the harvest God and got them on Jesus. But they already had a festival day scheduled, so we just have a festival. Well, mm-hmm. we just, you know, have the festival of Yay Jesus. Um, so that's and there are some problems with that of trying to that there's that, but then there's blending it too much of well, in a way, Jesus is just like the harvest god, and you can keep calling mm-hmm. that. That gets a little sketchy. That is what has happened in some uh corners of Western Christianity. Mm-hmm. They say you have your values of hard work and, you know, this, ty- this type of college education and this. So it's a, other than talking you out of that and you may be leaving this church, it's a lot easier just to say, yes, and Jesus. Right. And hard work and earning it and deserving it and Jesus. When right. there's really no way to reconcile Christianity with deserving help. Right. Mm-hmm. right. That is entirely antithetical to the concept yes. of Christianity. Yes. While we were dead in our sins. God reached down, as Glenn is pointing out. You can't, there's so, you can't, it's not that these people were working harder at getting out of being dead in their sins. It's all grace and all mercy. And God God says it's how we're supposed to see other people. But again, all that to say, and these are the kind of things that we would like you to think through when you look at something like what your folks said, which is super uncool. It's uncool towards you and it's uncool towards poor people. So Mm -hmm. they're being pissed makes sense. But as you go through that thing of, okay, I've lost some respect for them. It is, that's the right things we're pointing out. But also, it's important to look at and say, because you were probably raised in a similar environment to your parents, to say, what are the underlying things here that I am rejecting? How does that change things? And we'd be happy to have follow up questions on that. But there's some real stuff going here, on here that you are reaching through and reaching over to get to a Christ like compassion that we certainly want to uh, celebrate. We think that's a great thing, and we want more of that for you. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously. It says, I want God to forgive me for my past, but I need his help to get over the things I've done. So many things remind me of my past. I feel bad every time I think about them. I wonder if it's the real me who did all that. How can I put it all behind me? And Lee, why don't you start us off on this one?
3: Yeah. um, uh, Thanks for the question. And we're sorry that you're feeling, uh, you know, just the, uh, just the adrenaline of an emotion of, of feeling crappy about the stuff in your past, uh, we all know how that feels. And um, I use the word adrenaline because, um, it, you know, when when you're focused on that stuff, it's hard to unthink it, and your heart rate gets up, your stomach turns, and you and you just you just wish it didn't happen. You just and you if you could grit your teeth and just wish hard enough, and it just would go away. That's what you would choose to do. We're not left with that option. What we've got instead is. We have what Glenn was talking about in the last question. We have grace. We have the grace of Jesus. And, and what, the, what the scripture says is that, is that he who knew, knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And here's what that means for you. Um, was it the real you that did that stuff? Yep. Just like it was the real me that did all that stuff. But here's the really cool thing. Jesus took your place. He took your place, rewrote the whole story, changed the whole history of the thing so that you are now a brand new creation, which is a really, really cool deal. It's that same chapter where it says that he who knew no sin became sin for us also said that he who, that same chapter says, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. One of my favorite things that happens in the New Testament is like, To me, it's like the most audacious thing ever. It's in Romans chapter 4. The Apostle Paul is talking about uh, Abraham, and he says, "Uh, Abraham, who didn't waver through unbelief. And I'm like, wait, isn't Paul supposed to be the guy that knows the Old Testament? Like, did you ever read it? Did you read about this dude, Abraham? He's like... The, he's like Captain Waver Pants. He's like that. nobody ever wavered in unbelief the way this guy wavered. He's like wavers all the time. And yet the story is rewritten. And that's the beauty of this whole thing. And the deal is, is that this is the truth about the situation. But what you're talking about is the way that it feels. So there's this big difference in the the thing that's true about me and the way that I feel. And what we've got to learn how to do is get through that adrenaline and those emotions and stuff like that and feel and, and and you know ask the lord to help us you know cling to and remember and believe the truth of uh, uh, of our real situation which is that we're a new creation and we get to start over and jesus has taken our place and I'm sure these other brothers can break some of that down as far as as far as how you do that more. But that's what we got to do is reconcile the idea that there's something that's absolutely true about you, and and it doesn't always feel that way. But that's what we're trying to do is is get the, our feelings on board with what's true.
0: That is a really excellent place to start, and Jed, I'd love for you to uh, take it from there. I think that our friend may be getting a little caught in this concept of was it the real me? Sure. Which is the real me. That's a very, um, I guess, existentially interesting question. However, it may not be as useful as they think it is because kind of whatever is you're doing is real. Yeah. You're putting it into extant. So, but I think that may be a, some people really want the, that's why we love a good conversion story. Mm -hmm. The idea of that this was a totally different thing and there's a clean break, but how do we reconcile that kind of maybe a little more mundane a uh, reality of i've gr- god's growing me and i'm learning to d- it's therefore i do things differently
2: mhm mhm well you know i think um i think we really need a box to put all this in uh, to know just how to, a, a clean easy way to know how to think about it cuz it 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 can be a little uh, a little jarring this idea of you know i'm i'm different now i don't look different and I definitely did the things I did and everybody thinks of me as the person who did those things but I'm supposed to think I'm different and how does that all work? So I want you to do a thought experiment with me. I want you to imagine that you go to the doctor and the doctor, you know, hits your knee with a rubber hammer and he has you say, ah, and he, you know, uh, uh, checks your pulse and does the x-rays and everything and comes back and says, well, I, I have bad news and I have good news. The bad news is you've had a massive brain tumor that's been affecting your decisions and your behavior for years and years and years. And it's, it's a doozy. The good news is it's in remission. It's shrinking. Every single day for the rest of your life, it's going to have less impact on you than the day before. You're, you're headed in, in a great direction. So, you know, I mean, it's actually, it's a, it's a net positive. So, uh, you know, there you go. That's, that's your doctor's appointment. My question is, could you live with that? Could you have peace with that? Because I think you could, actually. I, I think that you would be able to say to yourself and to, you know, the people that you've hurt, I did what I did and I'm sorry for it. There were reasons for it. It's, it's not that I'm a monster. It's not that I just love evil. There, there were things going on that I, I wasn't aware of. Those things are in the process of being changed and being fixed. And um, I'm, I'm making different kinds of decisions now. I'm able to make different kinds of decisions now. And I, I hope that I'll have a chance to earn your trust in, in the future as time goes on. I don't think you'd have a problem wrapping your brain around that. I don't think you'd have a problem expressing that either to yourself or to other people. And I, I think we could probably feel pretty good about that. Here's the interesting thing. That's almost exactly what the Bible says is true about you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, it, it says that you have um, a flesh, a part that is, that is super jacked up, that, that does not love God or anything about God or anything good, that prior to Jesus coming in, was 100% in the driver's seat. It was it was making all your decisions for you. Uh, it was telling you what to do, where to go, uh, how fast to get there. And again, that doesn't excuse you from culpability. It doesn't, you know, it was, it's like I didn't really do it. You know, I, I didn't really cheat on you. No, you did. You, you, you did the things you did. But there's there's a reason for it. There's, there's a thing. And that Jesus has come in the picture and is in the process of changing you. Um, you still have a sinful nature. You still have a flesh. But as we grow with the Lord, as we grow in maturity in the Word the Bible uses for that is sanctification. It means to to grow to be more like Jesus, that that flesh hopefully has a little bit less sway over us. Right. You know, one day at a time, a little bit less sway today than it did tomorrow. So we're able to live in a new way and we're able to, to make new kinds of, of decisions and, and live a new kind of life. That's what the Bible says is is true about you. That's that's actually the deal. I think where we get into trouble again is when we say, well, before I was just a monster who loved evil, and now I'm basically perfect. I guess I'm delivered. <laughs> I don't really know. Okay, again, both of those things are false. Um, you were not a monster who just loved evil. What you were was a jacked up person with a sinful nature who was also doing the best they could to figure out how to have some peace and some joy and some happiness in a messed up world when they had no idea what they were doing.
0: That's right. Yes.
2: Amen. That's, that's who you were. All of that
0: failed, but that doesn't mean you weren't making a good faith effort to find it.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, we talk with people who have committed horrific crimes day in and day out, all that were doing the best they knew how to do. Yeah, All of them, Mm -hmm. every single one. We're we're trying to figure out how to live a decent life. That's who you were. Who you are today is someone who is a work in progress. You are someone who is loved by God, who is saved. You have been adopted as as God's child, but you are definitely his jacked up baby child who has a million wrong impulses and a million wrong urges, and you still got that sinful nature. Again, its influence is shrinking day by day, little bit by little bit, but it's still there. And you're still jacked up. You still got issues. So we need grace and we need patience and we need understanding every single day. And if you can hold both of those, that I, you know, this is where I was and this is where I am now, you can actually have a ton of peace and you can have a ton of serenity. And that's what God wants for you and that's what we want for you.
0: Absolutely. That is really fantastic stuff. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to close us out on this by, again, maybe kind of digging deeper into the, what Jed is, the really good stuff Jed is giving us there. If this is about a process. This is not about two entirely disparate people, so that you can disregard one right. and totally the other one is the true self. So how do we right. how do we dig deeper into that? Well,
1: and I loved everything Jed said. It was really, really, really good. Uh, I think th- th- there was a, a, a sermon I was preaching at uh, our services at the bridge. And I was pointing on this in the sermon that I, there was a time in life where I was, uh, you know, I was a pretty, uh, pretty simple little monkey and doing pretty poorly. And then I said, "Okay, I need to stop doing that and and do more Christian stuff." And so then I started doing that, and there was a real transformation that took place. I mean, things really turned around, and and I started doing pretty good and living a pretty good life and helping people out, and it was a thing. And what I noticed about that moment is nobody came to me and said,
2: "You know what? You're you're a
1: really good Christian."
2: <laughs> it's funny how that works, isn't it? Hey,
1: you weren't a Christian before, but now you're like you're like you're like Christianing really good right now. No <laughs> nobody said that to me. Now, uh, what's funny, of course, is after I preached that, uh, one of my favorite people on earth, a guy named George, uh, that was in that service. Now, every time he sees me, he says, you know, you're a really good Christian, because he's just trying to make up for all the years where no one said it. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <and laughs> it kind he, of
0: freaks out the hosting people sometimes. <laughs>
1: yes. But it's, yeah, they don't... Yeah, they, don't they, they don't have the
0: backstory. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and they also don't have that concept in their brain. It's <laughs> not someone else they're a good Christian. But here's the thing is, um, I, des- I decided in the moment that I realized no one was giving me credit for being a good Christian, I would just stop trying to be one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And when I say, "Stop trying to be a good Christian, I mean stop trying to be a good Christian in the eyes of other christians okay and and stop trying to act in a way where it would lead to other people saying that i 'm a good christian uh-huh. uh, so i just I just forgot about that I just focused on following jesus yeah that 's it that 's all i 'm doing and whether that looks Christian to you or not doesn 't affect me because most of the time i don 't think it 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 is very christian sure. in other words there's a part of the Bible in uh, John chapter eleven where uh, Jesus uh is with his uh, disciples and he gets word that uh Lazarus, his good friend has has died and um it's in a a, a part of of town there well it 's not a town it's the country, but you you know what i'm saying it's in a part of the world where uh they they, they had a little bit of a beef with Jesus, so you know what uh, but he's dead. Lazarus is dead. And so Jesus says, Oh, okay, well, let's, let's go wake him up, which is, you know, a fairly crazy thing to say. And also, uh, you know, it's dangerous and it's too late. And so, why are we going? And so, so that's the situation. Nobody says anything except for Thomas. And Thomas says, Well, great. Why don't we go and die with him? Meaning, die with Lazarus. Sure,
0: uh, and, we we may be and we may be guessing at Thomas's tone. That's right, probably right.
1: Uh, yes, here's the thing: is uh, first of all, I think Thomas's tone and, and his attitude and his 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 phraseology there is absolutely correct. And so it's the only reasonable one. It's it's exactly right. Now. Would you look at Thomas and say, Well, now that's a really good Christian? Well, heck no. You're supposed to fake it and say, Well, sure. praise the Lord, let us go on to the place. Hey, I ain't that guy, dude. I'm just I'm not cut out for that. And also, I notice no matter how much I fake it, nobody gives me credit anyway. So screw it. I'm gonna say the thing. All right, uh now here's the thing. Thomas went with Jesus. Sure. So he followed Jesus into the danger. And he followed Jesus into the danger when he did not think that he would be protected or helped from the danger. He did it anyway. To me, there's a little bit of extra credit to that. Sure, That's just the world that I'm living in. But, you know, you can look at, at, at any—here's uh, w- w- the thing, is I see a lot of Christians, and, and maybe you can relate to this in your question, I see a lot of Christians that aren't actually following Jesus in, in their They don't have a relationship where they're receiving direction from him, and they're going forth and doing the stuff that Jesus wants them to do. But they're acting super Christian all the time. They're, so <laughs> there are a lot of Christians that I know that act more Christian than me and do less for Christ than I do. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what to do with that. They don't know what to do with that. But here's the thing is, first and foremost, uh, I'm a lot happier doing it that way second of all i think people probably have a slightly higher opinion of me since i stopped caring about what their opinion of me is Mm -hmm. which is one of those things where you 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 give it up and then it comes back to you kind of thing like
0: did you invent that too
1: yeah i admitted that's pretty good yeah uh so don't go looking that up in the bible like it says it in there The, the the thing is we had to get to a place where Um, uh, uh, we recognize that there's a pride element to this. Okay, how does that work? Well, imagine I just took whatever, there's like a humbleness thing, right? And I give you maximum pure holiness uh, and you have humility to 100%. Sure. I couldn't imagine what that would be like, but if I just gave you perfect angelic Turned up the humility humility. slider all the way. If you had that, how would that affect your thinking of, I feel bad about my past? Right. If you were humble, really, uh, maximum humble, the first thing you'd say is, well, of course.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> of course a guy like me would do a thing like that. Of course. So if you don't have that perspective, that's when you kind of lack humility. It's, you know, um, humility tells us that... Uh, uh, we ought to expect that this is uh, that we make mistakes. That, yes. we're, that we're fallible. That that and, and that God understands mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and that uh, that I'm not trying to be a perfect, uh, perfect perfect actor in this thing. I'm trying to just follow Jesus, even if I don't know why we're going here, even if I think it's a bad idea, even if it's going against <laughs> all the everything. I'm just following. This is all I'm doing. Uh, the bible says god 's kindness is what leads us to repentance, and I think that 's supposed to give us an attitude of thankfulness mm-hmm. he's he 's been kind to me, so that 's the thing that turns me around that 's the keeps me, thing that keeps me straight you there 's zero percent thankfulness in your thing your thing is guilt, shame, and, you know beating up on yourself there 's no thankfulness that, like you know God saved me and all he loves me through all that he understood me through all that. And 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 of, of course, the, the, so if you see the sin as natural, and you see God's grace as supernatural and above that, and you can be thankful for that, that actually will keep you from doing more of the
2: sin. You know, I think that is so good, and I I just want to tack one thing on, particularly to that pride versus humility piece. Yeah. One of the things i don 't know if this will make sense today, but I want it to be in your brain because I want you to to remember it for the future. One of the things that you will discover as a Christian as you grow is how very small all of the things you 're ashamed of today are yeah
0: yeah
1: you,
2: you you will look back on your sinful misadventures and it 's not that you will say that they didn't matter it 's not that you will say that they you know god didn 't care about them, but you will say they're they are small in a way that 's fairly pitiful mm-hmm. that To take it back to our previous question, every act of compassion and love and selflessness that I have committed has been big and bold and vibrant and beautiful Mm -hmm. and amazing. And all that sin was just kind of small and pathetic. Yeah, silly, absurd. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that... In a weird way, my pride was the thing that made me look at the sin as big.
1: Yeah. yeah. My pride was the
2: thing that that looked at sin and said, Isn't this amazing? Isn't this the worst sin and the sinniest sin in the world? But the more that I grow in humility, the more I would say, It's just so small and so, so silly and so unremarkable.
1: Yeah. What does it say about us if we look at our sin and say, That's so unexpectedly bad yeah <laughs> no, that's, no it's pretty expected yeah. if, if yeah. you knew
3: yourself well it's pretty expected. in what way yeah. did you not expect this <laughs> that's right <laughs> who do you think you are
0: <laughs> exactly right I will there's a biblical thing on this that I want to point out uh, there's a guy uh, Jed mentioned a couple weeks ago on the podcast called William Barclay he's turned me on to some of his Bible stuff which actually if you look it up I think there's an uh, a uh, Android app as well, but certainly in the iTunes Store, if you type in William Barclay, that's B A R C L A Y, there is a free app that just has all his commentaries. Wow! Uh, you get ads. You can that's pay cool. the princely sum of three dollars to get have not the ads, but that's kind of all his commentaries interlinearly with a. Uh, with the KJV, which is really cool. And one of the, the the cool things I was reading in Luke 15 from him is he calls this the greatest compliment God ever, uh, Jesus ever said about people, but he's talking about the story of the prodigal son. And if you read it in just the NIV or in some other words, it will say like that moment where he he's feeding the pigs and he realizes he's starving. He's going to decide to go back to his father. It says, it will say something like he came to his senses, but if you go into the Greek, it actually says he came to himself. Mm. And this, the, the, the point of that being, the, the true you is the Jesus-y you. That's, yeah, that's right. The, as, as Jed is pointing out, the sin stuff is the not fully baked you yet trying to figure stuff out. That's, that's right. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. not that that's not real, it doesn't have real consequences, but that's not the you that the being that made you made you to be. Mm-hmm. The funny thing about that, how it ties exactly to what these guys are saying, is the first thing that happens to the prodigal son, if you look, this is in Luke fifteen seventeen. after he has come to himself, the first thing that happens is humility. Mm. Yeah. He says, Well, it's not gonna be great, but I'm gonna go try to be a hired hand. I'm just gonna start walking towards home. Right. And God the father meets him in that, gives him more than he would yep. ever ask for. Yep. But he has come to himself, which is the part that wants a relationship with his father, in a super humble way. That's the first outpour of that. I think that's that's very interesting. And again, it's it's a counterintuitive thing, but hopefully you listen to the podcast. We've we've mentioned this a few times and we'll continue to do that. When you get caught up on your past, when you get caught up on as these guys are saying, the surprise of, oh, how bad it was. We talked to one of the key indicators. There's a bunch of them. We talked to guys we work with. There's an indication of someone who's not really ready to move forward, and that's someone who really wants you to be impressed with all the bad stuff they did. Yes. Yeah. They want the drama of it. They want the, the action of it. They want to, well, you, you probably won't believe it, but I stole grandma's <laughs> VCR. Really? Really? Mm-hmm. Literally everyone in this room stole grandma's VCR. <laughs> right, 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 right. The sound of someone who is one is excited about that new life and moving forward and think, Yeah, you know, I stole grandma's VCR. Right. I was on drugs, I wanted more drugs, the VCR was there. It's not good, but there's there's this thing. I'm like, you can see how that happened. Right. And we can. For right. again, we've heard that story many, many times. But it's it's amazing the power humility has and the things that humility will solve that you wouldn't think. That's and if you right. grab hold of that thankfulness going to talk about, that's going to lead to humility. That's going to lead to solving a surprising number of problems in your walk, which you certainly want for you. All right. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgecicago.tumblr.com. And on a very special note, we will take you out with the falsetto scat medley. Wow.
1: <laughs> the Say That Podcast, turn to your neighbor and ask them if this is the last chorus. <laughs> 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 that was oh, fun That's work. exceptional
0: <laughs>